0: bow our heads together and go to the Lord in prayer before we go to the Word together this morning. Our precious Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for the newborn King, Jesus Christ. We're also grateful that He did not stay a babe, but lived as a man among men but yet was quite different in that he was completely sinless. And that man, Jesus Christ, went to the cross to bear the punishment for our sins. But yet it wasn't over because he rose from the dead on the third day. And for that we rejoice. We thank you for Jesus Christ. We thank you for your love for us demonstrated through the coming of Christ. Father, I pray that as we come together to Your Word this morning, that You would help us to understand that these are the words of Christ. That this is His Word. This is Your Word given to us. And Christ was the Word in human flesh. Father, we're so grateful and thankful and privileged to have Your Word, to hold in our hands, to read for ourselves, to apply to our own lives. Help us to do that today. Would You, Lord, open our eyes and minds and hearts to the truth of Your Word and challenge us to be faithful to You in the obedience of Your Word and practice of it in our own lives today and in the days ahead. We ask that. We ask for Your work, Your revealing work in our lives today and always. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In a, uh, in a day or two a couple of days we're going to enter a new year aren't we? Can I tell you about my desire for you as a people as your pastor my desire for you as your pastor is that you will enter the new year as a praying church a church who takes very seriously the privilege privilege of prayer as a as a praying people, that you would look at the year 2008 as an opportunity to bathe it in prayer. My heart's desire for you as your pastor is also that you would be a people who long for the joy that's only found in Jesus, that you would long for the hope and strength and joy and happiness that's only found in Christ, Speaking of prayer, God has blessed us with the wonderful gift of prayer. And, and, and as we've come through a week of Christmas celebration, and thinking of the goodness of God in sending Christ, we express that goodness often in giving of gifts, right? We have given gifts in the past few days. Did you know that there's a gift you can give to God? And maybe you thought about that. What can I give to God? What can I do to God that would match His gift? Well, you cannot match God's gift. You cannot match God's gift of Jesus Christ for your sins and mine. But you can give, give a gift to God, and you can give to God in the year ahead a very special gift of your yieldedness to Him. Your yieldedness to Him in prayer is a precious gift to Him. He longs for and desires to hear you pray and to come before Him in prayer and then to yield yourself to Him as you pray and as you give Him your heart's desires and concerns and burdens and hopes and wishes for the year ahead. To yield before Him and come before Him in prayer and say, Father, I want Your will for my life. Here are my desires. I trust that they're being shaped by Your Word. Help them to be shaped by Your Word, Father. Father, Lord, I come before You in prayer and say, I want this year to glorify You, so make my life glorify You. And I yield before You. That's a precious gift to God. When you come and say, I want to yield before You and I will take whatever You give. Whatever blessings You withhold, whatever blessings You give, I will rejoice that You are a sovereign and holy God and a righteous God you ought to be thinking about in the year ahead how you can cry out to God in prayer, giving Him your heart's desires, giving Him your deepest burdens and concerns, and then just trusting Him with them. That's a precious gift to God. It's what He desires from us, that His children would come and yield to Him. A couple of days ago, our family was uh, relaxing in the living room, and I overheard our our youngest, uh, Josiah. He's five asking a couple of his brothers for batteries. <laughs> Evidently, Zachary had given him a flashlight, but it didn't have any batteries. Not much of a flashlight if it doesn't have batteries, right? So I heard him saying, do you have batteries? No, no. Do you have batteries? No. I have batteries. But he wasn't asking me. I heard him asking his brothers, Zach, do you have batteries? No, no. <clears throat> and... um as I observed him, I decided to try to teach little Josiah a lesson. He, I, I think of him as the baby in the family because he is, you know. But often he acts like he's about ten. So I thought, well, maybe he's ready for some mature thinking here, and I wanted to try to help him learn something about prayer. So I, I, I said, Josiah, is um, how many people have you asked for batteries? Oh, I don't know. How, tell me who you've asked. And he named about four of the other guys. I said, "Is there anybody else you think you should ask for batteries?" No, and I had batteries, you know. He was kind of bashful. No, you know. I said, "Can I tell you something about prayer?" You know, do you did you know that when you pray to God, you're asking your heavenly Father to to give you your needs and your wishes and your hopes, but you're trusting that he'll provide, you know, for you. When you pray to God, you're praying to your heavenly Father, you know, I was trying to get the father thing in there. I said, is there anybody else you think that you might ask for batteries? And he kind of sweetly said, should I ask God? (laughs) I said, well, you could ask God for batteries. That'd be all right to pray and say, Lord, I need batteries. If you could provide some, that'd be great. (laughs) But is there anybody else in your family that you should ask for batteries? And he was kind of, I think he was starting to get embarrassed because everybody's now paying attention. And I said, "Do you think you ought to ask your father for batteries?" And he wouldn't ask for me for batteries. He kind of got embarrassed, I think, and and he just started laughing. If you know Josiah, he's got this little giggle, and he just kind of laughed and kind of, you know, ha ha. You know, said, "Really, do you think you ought to ask somebody else? Maybe your father, your earthly father, for batteries?" He just kind of laughed, and finally Carolyn got him and said, "Ask Dad if he's got any batteries. Dad, can can I have some batteries?" So he finally broke down and came over and said, Dad, can I have some batteries? I said, Sure. I'm glad you asked. Let's go get some batteries. I put some batteries in his flashlight. <laughs> it's important to ask your father. You know? I wanted to teach him a couple things about prayer. I wanted to teach him that he should talk to his heavenly father about his needs. But I also wanted him to learn to come to me. As his earthly father, he's still quite the youngster and he should be coming to me for help, right? And he calls out for me when he gets stuck someplace. Dad, you know, help. But I want him to learn to come to me as his earthly father. I also want him to learn to go to his heavenly father. I want you, as your pastor, I want you to learn to go to your heavenly father. I want you to learn that today. I want you to be encouraged with that today. You might notice that I talk about prayer quite a bit, and prayer is very important. Prayer is critical in our lives as followers of Christ, that we we practice the privilege of prayer. So I want to encourage you with that this morning. My desire for you is that you would go to your Heavenly Father with your needs. We're kind of like little Josiah, though, aren't we? We get embarrassed sometimes, or maybe we spend all of our time looking for all the answers to our problems in every other possibility, and yet we haven't gone to the one highest possibility, Jesus Christ, in prayer. Now, we don't hesitate to tell others about our needs at times. We don't hesitate to try to fabricate a plan to get ourselves out of our rut. And yet often we're like little Josiah. We just don't go and ask our Heavenly Father like we should. There are many needs among us, aren't there? When I speak to you and, and I hear your prayer requests and I hear about your lives, I know that there are multitude of needs represented in this room this morning. But there are also some very basic needs that I want to bring to your attention this morning that I want to encourage you to be certain that you make asking your Heavenly Father the first priority and not the last priority. That you would make these things a priority, that you ask your Heavenly Father these things in 2008 and beyond. A couple of years ago, I came across an acronym that uh, Pastor John Piper stated that he prays almost every day for those he loves. If you know John Piper, you know he's written many books and is a pastor in uh, Minnesota. Godly uh, man of God and I find great encouragement from his writings. I was reading one of his sermons, actually, I think, or maybe an interview, and I came across this acronym and he says, I often pray this acronym. Um, IOUS. Pretty easy to remember, right? I-O-U-S, right? Remember that? It represents four words. Those four words are these. I'm going to give you these, and then I'm going to emphasize them this morning. And I want you to, to jot these down, if you would. Take a piece of paper and a pen. If you want to remember these, I would suggest you write them down. And I think that these will help your prayer life uh, greatly. Because of this little acronym, it's been a challenge to me over the last couple of years that I pray this way for, for you and for my family and for those I love. I-O-U-S, incline, open, unite, and satisfy. I'm going to tell you what those mean here in just a moment. As I thought and I prayed about how we should prepare for, from God's Word for the year 2008, how we ought to gather together on the Sunday before we enter a new year, how we ought to get together and open God's Word and prepare ourselves for this opportunity 2008, year ahead. I kept coming back to this prayer, just kept uh, emphasizing. Uh, I feel like the Lord just kind of kept emphasizing my, in my heart and my mind that this, this prayer was important for you and for me. I kept coming back to this prayer of Pipers. I want you to know that, first of all, I want you to know that I'm praying this for you as a church, as individual believers. I'm praying this for you. I've committed myself to praying this for you in the year ahead and, and, and beyond as long as the Lord tarries. I'm praying this prayer for you as individuals. This, this morning, I want you to share with me the meaning behind these four words and take these and make them personal to yourself. I'm going to share with you the meaning, and I want you to take them and make them personal to you because I'm going to challenge you to pray this way for one another. I'm going to challenge you to pray this way for me. I need you to pray for me this way as well. As long as the Lord tarries, I believe we would do very well to pray this way for one another. This isn't all we should be praying for one another, but this is a very good place to start. So if you want to have your your praying uh, informed and directed and go to your prayer life daily with some purpose, I think this is a very good way to start. So let me describe how I wish to pray for you in 2008, and may you make this prayer your own also. I hope you will and I hope you will pray for me this way. I want you to know that I'm going to be praying for you in the year ahead that God will incline your heart to His Word. That's the I of I-O-U-S. Incline your heart to His Word. Would you go to the book of Psalm chapter 119 and verse 36 with me? Psalm 119. We're going to leave that on the screen for you for just a moment, so you can jot that down if you want to. Psalm 119, verse 36. I'm going to be praying for you, and I hope you'll pray for me and for your family and for your church family. I'm going to pray for you that you will incline your heart to His Word, that God will do a work in you inclining your heart to His Word. And here's a passage that that speaks to this. Psalm 119, verse 36 says, Incline my heart to your testimonies or or your word we could put your word God's testimonies incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain now the question why do we need to pray for an inclination toward God's word why do we need to pray for an inclination why do we need to pray that God would incline our hearts to his word Well, because the natural inclination of the heart is, as verse 36 says in Psalm 119, is what? It is towards selfish gain. The natural inclination of our heart as human beings is towards selfishness and towards selfish gain. Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9, speaks of this when it says, The heart is deceitful. Above all things, and that's not all. It's desperately sick. How's that for a description of your heart and mind? the 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 nature of our lives, the nature of our hearts, is one of being a, a heart, the root of us being desperately sick and deceitful. You know, the picture that Scripture paints of the natural inclination of the heart is not a pretty picture, is it? But unfortunately it's a true picture, and the scriptures don't pull any punches with us. It tells us the truth about the condition of our own lives without Christ and even what we tend to be like if we neglect Christ. Mount, uh, the book of Mark, Mark chapter seven, verses twenty one through twenty three states that from within, speaking of the heart and the depravity depravity of us. From within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts. Okay? Those things that we think, they're not necessarily coming from the outside. We are influenced by things external. But they begin in the heart. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, says verse 23. If, you, if we could take it and make our own dictionary, selfish gain, the word selfish gain or selfishness, this would be the definition. This is the scriptural definition of selfishness. If you look at these verses in Mark chapter 7, you'll find that, that this describes very well our own selfishness. What are the natural inclinations of our hearts? Well, the heart is deceitful, and the natural inclination of our hearts covets the things that we see here in Mark 7. And unfortunately, this is a pretty vivid picture, a very scary picture of the the state of our hearts if we allow them to go unchecked. The heart is inclined towards selfish gain. The heart is inclined towards selfishness. That's not a pretty picture, is it? I want you to know, though, that though that picture is not pretty, there is hope. There is hope for us. I like the way Charles Spurgeon puts it. He says, Holiness of heart is the cure for covetousness. Holiness of heart is the cure for covetousness. You see, there is hope. And there's hope in this. There's hope in putting your trust in God. There's hope in resting on God's precious promises from His Word. So we must have God's help. We need it. We must have it. Our strength is insufficient to help ourselves. We must have God's help. And God is very pleased to help us. What a precious gift that we have a Heavenly Father who is overjoyed to help us when we cry out to Him in prayer and say, God, please incline my heart to your word and not to selfishness, not to selfish gain. God loves it when His children come and ask for help. God loves it when His children come and ask for help and yield to His help. You know, it would be frustrating to me if my children came to me and said, Dad, um, could I have some batteries for my flashlight? I say, absolutely, I've got batteries for my flashlight. Here you go. Nope, just wondered. Never mind. I go, well, that's a dirty trick. That's not nice. As a human being, I would go, I'll show you next time you come and ask me for batteries. I'll go, i got some, but you can't have any. That's not what God does. Thank goodness. He's just waiting for us to cry out for help. And then to go, I want your help, Lord, and and I want to be completely satisfied with you and your word, and I don't want to be distracted by anything else. I want to to surrender myself to you, so whatever you give me or don't give me, because you, Lord, know my true needs. And here's what I think I need, and here's what I think I, I want, but you know better, Lord, so I'm going to be completely satisfied with what you give or don't give. That's yielding to God. During our study of Colossians chapter 3, we learn in verse 2 that the focus for the believer should be on things above. Not that we're just, you know, pie in the sky by and by all the time, you know, walking around thinking heavenly things. I'm talking about, when we talk about things above, we're talking about God's Word, God's holy Word and His precious Word, His precious promises. Those things above, those heavenly things are the eternal promises of God. You and I had better fix our minds on the promises of God. Otherwise, we're going to be distracted by our selfish ambitions and our selfish, selfish desires. And we'll be led astray by the things of the world who are more than joy, overjoyed to, to lead us into selfishness. God's Word, that work in us, is a very special work. It's a powerful work. I like to think about the inclination of our hearts toward God's Word is like the, the person who takes a tree from its youngest form, from just a sapling, and begins to train it. We've all seen trees that have been trained in, in some ridiculous shapes, right? Have you seen trees like that? Maybe not in person, but we've seen pictures. I've seen pictures of trees that have a trunk that's split and looks like a heart or a trunk that's been turned and turned and turned. It's a huge, massive tree. But something trained it that way. It was some human being that came along with a very patient human being over many years to train this tree. We've come along and we've seen trees growing over, over fence posts and things like that, and they've been twisted in, over the years. That's what we ought to be praying that God would do with our hearts, that He would slowly and methodically, as we yield to His Word, that He would incline our hearts toward His Word and not toward selfishness. That he would train our hearts in the direction that we should go. Piper notes about the inclination of the heart and where it ought to be as he prays Incline my heart to your testimonies, from Psalm 119.36, because there are days when I don't even want to pick up the Bible. If that feeling survives, I'm dead. So plead, so I plead, he says, Lord, don't let me not want to pick up the Bible. Incline my heart to your word. I hope that's your prayer. I'm praying that for you. That God will incline your heart to love His Word and to want to pick up the Bible and not to go through a day where you go, I don't want the Bible today. No thank you. Because you need a life-giving message of hope and strength and courage and peace that God gives you in His Word. and That's why the psalmist prays in Psalm 51, verse 10, Create in me a clean heart, O God. And renew a right spirit within me. I will pray that God will incline your heart to His Word. I've committed myself to praying that God will draw you to Himself, draw you to His Word. You need God's Word. And you need the the, the power of God's Word, the effectiveness of God's Word actively, daily, shaping your thinking, shaping your life, helping you have your hope and trust in His promises. I'm going to pray that God will incline your heart to His Word. That He will give you a deep longing and hunger for His Word. And that you will hunger and thirst for His Word so much that you you miss it like missing a meal. And will you pray for me? That God will incline my heart to His Word? And will you pray for one another that God will incline their hearts, your hearts to His Word? I'm also going to be praying that God will open your eyes to see wonderful things when you read His Word. That's the O-I-O-U-S. Open your eyes. I'm going to pray that God will open your eyes to see wonderful things when you read His Word. Not that, not only that He will incline your heart to His Word, not just that you will say, okay, I'm going to be diligent, I'm, you know, I love God's Word, so I'm going to read it today. Okay, read it. Now next. What's next? But that you will see some wonderful things from God's Word when you read it. That He will open your eyes to see wonderful things when you read His Word. Go to verse 18 in Psalm 119, would you? Psalm 119, verse 18. Psalm 119, verse 18. Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. Now, why do we need to have our eyes opened? Why aren't they just, you know, we can read, right? We can read. We can see the printed page. We can see the words. We comprehend what they mean, pretty much. I struggle with it sometimes, but you probably don't. Right? We, we understand the words. Why do we have to have our eyes open? Why does God need to open our eyes? 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 and 4 speaks of the blindness of unbelievers. And if you're a follower of Christ, you used to be an unbeliever. And so you have the old nature of that unbeliever still warring within. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 and 4 says, And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled only those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. And that's what Satan's doing to those who who have not trusted Christ. Blinding them from the truths of God's Word. And Satan, the God of this world, actively deceives unbelievers and blinds them from seeing the truth of God's Word. And Satan would love for believers as well to be blinded from the truths of God's Word. He would love for you to be distracted by the myriad of things in this world to distract you from God's Word, the truths of His Word, and not open your eyes to the truths of those words. Satan would love for you to be blinded to the truths of God's Word, distracted by all the things in your life. Piper says about this, open the eyes of my heart to see wondrous things in the Word, not just black marks on the page. Make your truth glorious and beautiful and attractive and satisfying and delighting. You know, I'm going to pray for you that God will open your eyes to see wonderful things from His Word because you need to have your eyes open. I want you to pray for me because I need to have my eyes open. Because, like Piper says, there are lots of things in this world, things that the devil likes to make look glorious and attractive and beautiful and satisfying and delighting, and yet they are an empty pit because they are not glorifying to God and they are not Blessings from God's hands. The psalmist writes in Psalm 119, verse 105, Your Word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And you and I need the light and the lamp, don't we? We need those batteries that God can give us for our spiritual flashlight. And He's given them to us in the printed Word He has blessed us with. I encourage you to think and pray today. I want to just challenge you here about reading your Bible. I want to encourage you to think and pray about and plan today, if you haven't already, how you are going to make reading and the intake of God's Word a daily reality in your life in 2008. There are many ways you can do this. Some of you have taken up the challenge to read through the Bible in a year. That's not for everybody. I'm not suggesting that everybody read through the Bible in a year. Maybe you want to do that. If so, there are plans. There's a McShane Bible reading plan on the literature table, a nice brown pamphlet about about that big, um, on the literature table before you leave this morning. I suggest you grab one of those, even if you don't use it, to take one and look and see, get an idea of what it would be like to read through the Bible in a year. And as you plan and pray, I hope you'll plan and pray today about how God wants you to read His Word in the year ahead. And that you will plan some daily intake of God's Word. I'm not suggesting that you have to read through the Bible in a year and and use that plan, but that's a tremendous plan. Some of you like the daily bread, right? If you open a daily bread, and look, there's also a one-year Bible reading plan in the daily bread. So if you read the daily bread and read the Scriptures that they give you every day that says one-year Bible reading, you will read through God's Word in a year. You'll intake... God's Word. You need God's Word influencing your daily thought life. And I promise you that as you systematically read and study God's Word, whether it's one paragraph, and you take that one paragraph a day, and you dissect it, and you get out a Bible dictionary, and you look up different uh, translations, and you look at commentaries, and you say, this is what the passage is saying, and here's how I'm going to apply it to my life, and here's how I'm going to live it today. Whether you take a paragraph, or a sentence, or two chapters a day, If you will systematically get God's Word into your life, you will begin to love and long for God's Word, and when you miss a day, you're going to miss it. I'll be praying for you that God will incline your hearts to God's Word, that He will direct your thinking, incline your heart, your longings, your desires to read God's Word. Will you pray with me that God will incline our hearts to God's Word? I'm going to pray that God will open your eyes to see wonderful things, wonderful truths when you do open the Word and read. I wonder, will you also join me as I pray that you will have hearts united? That's the U, -U I-O-U-S. Hearts united in the fear of God rather than fragmented over dozens of concerns. I'm going to pray for you that you will have hearts united in the fear of God rather than just distracted and fragmented and and torn apart by all the concerns in your life because there are many, I know. But that you will have a heart that's united. And here's what I mean. Psalm 86. Psalm 86, verse 11. Go there with me, would you please? Psalm 86, verse 11. Psalm 86, verse 11 says, Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. I'm going to pray that you will have hearts united in the fear of God rather than fragmented and distracted by dozens of concerns. Pastor Piper adds, my heart is fragmented and going every which way. I'm worried about the kids. I'm worried about the church. I'm worried about the car I need to fix. So I ask God to get my heart together, to have a reverential demeanor toward Him. Can you identify? you find that to be true of your life also, distracted by all the things you have to do? Who invented to do the to-do list? I'd like to find that person and do something with them. You know, to-do. I'm going to put you on my to-do list, buddy. Because i got this to-do list that's like never-ending. And who invented a computer to keep track of a to-do list? Because I've got this thing I can open up a file and just add one more thing to the list. And every once in a while I have to look at the whole thing. And, oh, my word, I forgot about that. <laughs> I better do that. Are you like that? Are you fragmented in your thinking about all the concerns of this life? Maybe it's not your to-do list. Maybe it's family. Maybe it's your loved ones. Maybe it's your children, your grandchildren. Maybe it's your purpose for life. Maybe it's your future. Sorry to concern you, but I'm right, right? We all have things that fragment our thinking and fragment our hearts and and keep us from being united in the fear of the Lord. Psalm 8611 says, Teach me your way, O Lord. And I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. You see, there's a struggle from within. For one thing, there's a struggle from within for independence. Like my little Josiah, who doesn't want to ask for batteries from Dad. I already did it the way I wanted to do it. I'm going to ask everybody else, but I'm not going to ask you. And we're like that sometimes. I'm going to do it my way, God. I'm not going to ask for your help. I got it all figured out. And we got to struggle for independence. And then the reason for that struggle in the life of the believer is that we have this new nature warring against the old nature, contending with the old nature. That's why, pointing you back to Colossians 3 again, Colossians 3 speaks of putting to death what is earthly in us. And conquering it, putting it to death, and getting rid of the old nature. Even a daily process of doing so. And we must work to put it to death because it still exists and it rears its ugly head and it creates division in our own hearts and minds if not in our own families and in our own church. You see, but our attitude should be that that of a psalmist who prays that God would teach him God's way. Oh, that God would teach us His way. We must pray for and seek after a heart that is united with God's ways and at one with God's desires in a reverential fear of the Lord. Not one. I'm not talking about reverent. When I talk about reverential fear, I'm not talking about, oh no, Lord, you're know, always going to. But a one that says these are God's, God, my Creator, gave me these commands. These are important. I'm going to obey these. I. I'm going to have a reverential fear for God because He loved me enough to send His Son, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross for me to take the punishment for my sins. And then He gave me this book to tell me how He wants to live and to give me hope about the future and to give me hope about my problems. I'm going to fear the Lord. I'm going to obey His Word. I don't want to sin against God. I don't want to break His heart. That's a reverential fear of God. Teach me Your way. Oh, Lord, I'm going to pray this for You. Will You pray this for me and for one another? Teach me Your way, O oh Lord, that I may walk in Your truth. Unite my heart to fear Your name. Pray with me, would you? In the year ahead and beyond, that God will incline our hearts to His Word and that He will open our eyes to see wonderful things when we read His Word and that we will have hearts united in the fear of God rather than fragmented and distracted by a dozen concerns. And I would suggest as well that we pray for our church collectively as a body of Christ that we would be united in a reverential fear of the Lord. Because that will pull us together as a body of believers and keep us united as individual believers in this collective body of Christ, the church. Pray that we will be a church that is united in the fear of the Lord, and the fear of God's Word. I also want you to know that I'm going to be praying for you that you will be satisfied by His steadfast love. That's the S. I-O-U-S. That you will be satisfied in His steadfast love move ahead a couple of chapters in Psalms to Psalm 90, verse 14. Psalm 90, verse 14. I'm going to pray for you that you will be satisfied in His steadfast love. And we see it here, indicated in Psalm 90, verse 14. Satisfy us in the morning... With your steadfast love, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Psalm 90, verse 14. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. There is joy and gladness in being satisfied in God's love. You know, again, we must pray that God would satisfy us with His steadfast love and not the thousands of other things that we could pursue. Because there are thousands of things in this world that we could pursue in looking for satisfaction. Just think with me for a moment about where we're likely to look for satisfaction if it's not in God's steadfast love for us. Just think about it. I'm going to be praying for you that God will satisfy you with His steadfast love because because, well, you and I are more prone to look for satisfaction in many other things such as money, food, possessions, sex, personal achievement, the accomplishments of our children or grandchildren, the approval of others, notoriety, the advancement in our careers. And that's just to name a few. And it very likely could be a combination of these things in addition to many other things that we could go on and name. Piper says of this prayer for satisfaction with God's loving kindness, God, make my heart so content in you that pornography is not attractive, money is not attractive, fame is not attractive. I want an attraction to you to dominate my life. How critical that we pray that. How critical that we pray that for one another. You pray that for yourself. I'm going to pray that for you. You see, the problem with searching for satisfaction in all these other places is that these things are only temporary. These things are completely insufficient and hollow and empty for producing the kind of satisfaction that can be found in the love of the Lord. You see, the world's promises of satisfaction ring empty. We could spend all our time pursuing these other things, and we will still end up unsatisfied, discontented, and likely more miserable than we were before. And though some of these things are not wrong in and of themselves, all earthly things are insufficient to produce satisfaction when separated from enjoying them for God's glory. You see, because God's love is steadfast and never changing and eternal, we are, as Philippians 4.4 4 reminds us, to rejoice in the Lord always. Does God give us good things? Amen. He does give us good things. And He wants us to enjoy them. But He wants us to enjoy them for His glory. You see, satisfaction and contentment is really what we're all pursuing. We may not put it in those words, but if we stop and really think about it, I would contend that all of us are pursuing satisfaction and contentment. But how needful we are of satisfaction in God's steadfast, unchanging love, all complete love for us. And we're surrounded by God's blessings and the things that surround us are available to us only by God's grace. Look at all the good things in your life. Look at all the provision that God has given you, all the things that God has blessed you with, the people in your life that God has blessed you with. It's all because of God's grace and mercy on you. As I told my children the day after Christmas, I tell you that you may have a favorite present, you may have a favorite possession, but you had better be certain that your highest joy is Jesus. We're going to come back to that thought tonight as we come to the table for communion. Your highest joy had better be Jesus. This prayer for satisfaction and the steadfast love of the Lord appropriately follows the other prayers. Because only when we have hearts that are inclined to love God's Word and eyes that are open to see the wonderful truths in God's Word as we read it, and hearts that are united in the fear of God, rather than fragment over dozens of other concerns, will our desires be in agreement with God's desires for us. And then our desire will be for the satisfaction that only He can give us in His steadfast love. I'll be praying for you. I'm going to pray for you in the year ahead and as long as we wait for the Lord's return, and I hope that you will pray for me and for one another. Pray that God will incline our hearts to his word. Pray that God will open our eyes to see wonderful things when we read his word. Pray that we'll have hearts united in the fear of God, rather than fragment over dozens of concerns. And let's pray that we'll be satisfied in His steadfast unchanging, unmeasurable love. Let's pray that right now. Our precious, most holy, righteous, heavenly Father, we do come before you this morning realizing that every breath that you give us is a gift. Every blessing we enjoy is because of Your mercy and grace on our lives. So, Lord, help us to be a grateful people, a people who come before our loving Heavenly Father, taking advantage of the special privilege of prayer and coming and yielding ourselves before You because of Your goodness and grace and mercy on us. And, Lord, I pray that Your people would be inclined by You towards your word that you would incline their hearts to love your word to seek after your word and to fill their hearts and minds and thoughts with your truths Father I pray that you will open our eyes to see wonderful things when we read your word you would make us love your word and hunger and thirst for your word and then when we go to it for, for the quenching of our thirst and the satisfying of our hunger that we would be filled and see wonderful things that you've promised us Precious Father, I pray that we would have hearts that are united in the fear of God and not fragmented and distracted by the dozens and dozens of dozens of concerns in our lives. Father, I pray that You would unite us as a church around Your Word. Unite our families around Your Word. And unite our hearts, Lord, in the fear of God. And finally, Lord, I pray that You would help us to be satisfied, completely satisfied in Your steadfast love, not distracted by the many other things that we could find in this world that we might think we can find satisfaction in, but Lord, help us to search for and find satisfaction in You, Your steadfast love for us. That we might be a people who are completely and wholly changed day by day becoming more and more Christ-like living in this fallen world suffering from the after effects and the cause of sin but being ones who bring great hope and light into this world because of Jesus Christ strengthen us, embolden us and give us great hope that we might share these truths with God's with these people that you've created God's creation how privileged we are to live amongst God's creation and tell of your truths help us to be strengthened for that in 2008 help us to be a people who are committed to praying faithfully studying your word and loving your word and being completely satisfied in you in Jesus name we pray Amen